90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? You surviving the Tigernado? <laughs> yep, we're uh, successfully surviving Tigernado, or Bearnado, if you want to call it that. So uh, as Oklahoma is the laughingstock of the entire country again, but for real, a tiger sanctuary got hit by a tornado this week. And uh, the news has incorrectly stated this because actually it was the bear cage, they said, that got hit by the tornado. So there was actually a bear NATO instead of a tiger NATO, but, you know, semantics. <laughs> Either way, it's something you wouldn't want to run into uh, when you were out surveying damage to your property. I mean, just think it'd be like the the most successful storm chase ever. It puts new meaning into being in the bear cage. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. And I know there were several things that were going around online, including Jumanji references and all kinds of great things. That was my favorite. That was my favorite one. It was the best. And and they're not. It's still not old. I think it's the greatest thing that's that's happened. So no tigers or bears were harmed. So we can make fun of it. (laughs) Yes, and I mean you guys have had flooding and just some really fantastic weather there's an unbelievable amount of water here (laughs) um i've never seen anything like it we were out in in the storm at one point and i've never seen rainfall so heavy before in my life and i've been in and chased a lot of storms so it's quite exciting we're supposed to get five more inches over the next seven days so you know hopefully i don't float away (laughs) Yeah, definitely be careful. And, you know, for anybody that ever is in a situation with a lot of flooding like that, the turnaround don't drown campaign is really no joke. It takes almost no water to wash your car away with you in it. Uh, exactly. And it, it the velocity of some of this flood water is unbelievable. I mean, just there were curbs that were taken out in town and that flood water was, you know, less than a foot deep. And it took out wow. entire curbs. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really not a joke how powerful floodwaters can be. And they rise very quickly. And so we're supposed to get all this three to five more inches. And our ground is already super saturate, saturated. So it's going to be a mess this weekend. But I'm leaving town for Colorado. So I guess say la vie. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you're going out there for field camp, right? That's right. So the next six weeks, um, we'll be out in canyon city colorado so i'll be broadcasting from there we hope we hope the internet (laughs) holds out (laughs) that is true we are on the side of the mountain but you know technology is uh, pretty advanced these days right john (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) so what have you been up to not floating away i hope (laughs) no not floating away and actually uh, kind of the highlight since last week was this weekend was the state college book sale I love a good book sale. I love it so much. I mean, like my viciousness just comes out. How did, how did you make out? Did you get good stuff? <laughs> yeah, I think I've probably got about 30 books in a pile here behind me. Nice. Uh, from nice. the sale. And this actually isn't a library sale. Okay. So where do they come from? So this is actually the AAUW organization, which is the American Association of University Women. Okay. And... 
they put the sale together with books that were donated by the community, and it roughly is about 200,000 books every year. It fills an entire ag arena. Wow. Wow. So this is a once-a-year sale. This is a once-a-year sale, and oh. it, it starts on Saturday, and it goes through Tuesday, and it's so popular that you have to get in line Saturday morning to get a ticket to get in. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, this totally sounds like my kind of sale. I'm going to have to fly up there next year for this because that's oh, great. It, it's really worth it. So they start giving out tickets at 6.30. The sale opens at 9. And I got there about 6.40, and I was number 233. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is in, a lot of people that were there for a long time. <laughs> In the first 20 minutes, they said that they let about 700 people into the sale. Oh, my gosh. Oh. So are the books just like willy-nilly, or are they done by type, or was there any method to that madness? Oh, there is a deep method. They are categorized, and they have a map available on their website, so oh you can gosh. plan what section you want to head to. <laughs> Were you walking around with your iPad in your hand? With the math uh, no, I actually knew exactly where I wanted to go. I knew where science and engineering, and I knew where math was. Oh, okay. So I made a beeline for those sections. You have to be, <laughs> there are people that uh, resell books, and they have scanners attached to their iPhones, and they're just going through, they don't, they don't even look at what the books are, but they're scanning all of them, and if the phone beeps saying it's a valuable book, they throw it in a bin. Oh my goodness, okay. So wow. you have to try to get in there and pick out you know, what you want uh, before the scanner people do because they don't know what they're looking for. They just are trying to make some money. That's incredible. Yeah, and well, and then today is the last day of the sale. We're recording this on Tuesday, and it's bag day. So you take a bag, like a, a reusable shopping bag in, and you can fill it for $5, because they don't want to move these books back to their storage facilities. Oh, yeah, I bet not. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think there are enough bags in the world for me. I would have had to buy a new house. I would have gotten so many books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every year, uh, we end up coming back with a couple of bags and it's, it's really great. We get some really interesting books. A lot of them are relatively old, uh, but sometimes you get some really interesting finds. Like I actually got a book about landing on the moon by Armstrong, Collins, and Aldrin. Gosh, that's awesome. I'm so jealous of that so jealous well and some of the books that we talked about on the show uh, the map that changed the world by simon winchester that i said i really wanted to read after you talked about it uh, i now own it that is awesome so i know that was a pretty you know pricey book when it came out 20 bucks or something what did you pay i i think it was a couple bucks oh <laughs> <laughs> see it's a good thing you waited yeah <laughs> so that's uh that's most of what I've been up to, but it marked uh, kind of, it's always on graduation weekend here, so it marks the beginning of summer, and that's an exciting thing, except when you're in grad school, and it really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> there are fewer people on campus, so you can, you know, get into restaurants and things more quickly. Yes, exactly. Um, so, as well, uh, last week was our finals week, and so on Monday, when I got into the office, the first thing I noticed was there were abundant parking spots. And so that's always fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I know that we're both going to be traveling a lot this summer, and we had talked about what to do with the podcast. In fact, we had you know, planned on, okay, we're going to pre-record some shows, so we have them saved up. 
But I think we came up with a much better idea, don't you? Uh, I agree. This was a stroke of genius. I don't know if you fell and hit your head, and when you came to, it was there, or what? Uh, when I came to, it was there, as well as the design for the flux capacitor. Yes! Uh, <laughs> I, knew, I knew you'd catch that. Thanks for not disappointing me, nerd. <laughs> yeah. But no, we're, uh, we're going to do a series that we call Summer Shorts, and that uh-huh. was only an unintentional after-the-fact pun. <laughs> but I like it. It's good. It's good. So what are we going to tell people? So these episodes have been getting really long, as you know if you've <laughs> listened to them. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. We have a lot to say. <laughs> and we thought it would be fun this summer to do some short episodes on a single topic with a single fun paper. Uh, not that we normally do more than one fun paper, but we're right, going to try right. to keep things you know, pretty short, a very condensed topic, uh, not a whole lot of really rigid structure in the outline, so it'll be a very conversational, hopefully around 20-minute show. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> and it'll be a lot more relaxing for everybody to listen to, hopefully. Hopefully it'll help us uh, bring some new people in. I know a few people have said that seeing you know an hour-long show every week is a little bit intimidating, and... Hopefully we can convince you that it's worth the time when we dive back into some deeper topics uh, when August comes around. Uh, that's right. Um, I think that this will be fun for us and fun for everyone else. And, you know, summer's the time where, you know, you just want to sit around and not do stuff, even though I think we're going to prove that wrong when we talk about our topic for today. But <laughs> it, <laughs> it'd be nice to just, you know, here and there, 20 minutes, hear our whole show. Everybody loves Fun Paper Friday, so we don't want to give that up. So hopefully everyone will stick with us over the summer months, wherever they may be. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the conversation will end up pivoting around where we're going, because I know you're going to be doing a lot of visiting of geologic sites, and I'm going to be going to a lot of nerd gatherings. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to get your tan on uh, going to these indoor conferences, John. You're going to have to step up your game. you can you can bathe in the light of a thousand laptops at some of these programming conferences. <laughs> it's a deeper tan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Much. <laughs> well, what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> so today, and I think we just set up this show just as basically an impetus for us to get our acts together about what our plans are for the summer. And so we're going to unfail each of our summer manifestos, basically what we want to get done. And I know they're both pretty long. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is a partial list in the show notes. And really, I heard this term, I think it was last year, in someone's blog post. They actually made a manifesto of these are the things that I want to learn, the skills that I want to acquire, the things I want to do this summer. So my fiance and I made our own and hung them on the fridge. And it was wonderfully motivational really really it it really was because you would see them and you know if you were sitting here not doing anything and there's nothing on television and it's saturday afternoon you could look up at that paper and say oh you know i should be working on one of these things that i said i wanted to learn over the summer wow so it worked for you then or at least i guess more than 50 during the summer i say if you get more than 50 percent done of what you set out to do that's a success (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it really worked, and this year's list is long as always, but I put a few (laughs) of the highlights in, tried to mix up some academic things, because every single person listening to the show that's 
that's in an academic setting is going to have publish a paper on their list. I can guarantee it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's on both of our lists. You're correct. (laughs) All right, John. So since you've done this manifesto thing before, what's the first thing on your list for this summer? Well, the first thing on my list, believe it or not, involves programming. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's shocking. You rarely talk about that. Hmm. (laughs) I know. And I want to learn Swift, which is Apple's new language for developing Mac and iOS apps, because I do have some applications that I would like to develop to talk to some of the electronics I've been working on and some of the sensors. Ah, okay. Um, I know they're they're having like classes entirely devoted to app development now at colleges, so seems like that's good. <laughs> oh yeah, and there are so many resources out there. I'm not actually sure what to use. <laughs> <laughs> Overwhelmed with possibility, huh? <laughs> right. So you know, I've got an app that I downloaded that was free that's supposed to help you learn Swift, and it's okay. Uh, there is a Swift book out that I've been looking at, uh, beginning iPhone development with Swift. Uh, okay. When I've had a pretty good history of working from programming books, uh, they seem to work very well for me. Uh, but one thing that I think I'm going to try first, maybe, uh, because I've had success with it in other areas, is lynda.com. Okay, so we just got an email about this at my university, and I've heard that it's really awesome, but... As always, it's on my list, too, because I haven't looked at it yet. So what's so awesome about it? Well, I don't want to make this sound like a sponsor read, because I know they do sponsor a lot of podcasts. They don't sponsor ours. We would love it if they did. But (laughs) We'd love it if anyone sponsored ours. (laughs) Let's not be picky. (laughs) Well, Linda is just a online repository of videos, and they're professionally done videos. So, you know, you can search online, how do I do this? So say uh, Audacity, you might say, how do I trim audio in Audacity? And you'll get hits on YouTube that are people showing you how to do it. But a lot of times the videos aren't produced that well. Right, Uh, right. So these videos are all professionally produced and they're generally by people that are the top of the field. They don't just get anybody to do it. Oh, okay. Uh, You know, I talk about getting things done a lot, the, the methodology that mm-hmm. David Allen wrote up in his book, and they actually got him to do a video course on getting things done. Oh, okay. So is all is this like a sub, it's like a subscription service or something like that, right? But I know a lot of universities, you can access this stuff for free. It is a subscription service. I'm not sure. I think it's in the neighborhood of twenty five or thirty dollars a month if you're not if you don't get it through your university. But like you said, I think a lot of people do. I know. Pretty much everybody that I've talked to about it says, oh, yeah, we do get that. Okay. Okay. I like the not-so-subtle hint that I need to learn how to um, edit these shows, too. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. So now you know that I have a subscription to lynda.com. I'll look that up. I do. It's on on the list now. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's really a great service, though. Some of the videos can get kind of long. Uh, For example, the Illustrator video. The fundamentals <laughs> of Adobe Illustrator. It's over a day of video. <gasps> it's because it's outrageously hard to learn. <laughs> the first it's time true. I tried it, eight hours to make a triangle, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the great thing about it is, though, they're categorized. They're broken down into two or three-minute clips. 
and mm-hmm. you can search and find, you know, say you're having problems making a triangle, you can find drawing shapes and click and watch that two or three minutes, and that's probably all you need. Oh, well, that's really cool. Well, I'm going to try to look at that, too, because clearly I need to um, step up my computer game <laughs> a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> but related to that, in terms of university software, um, you know, this is my basically the end of my first year as an assistant professor. And so on my manifesto, besides Linda, is to learn, learn, <laughs> which <laughs> learn is the... Um, sort of the blackboard type software that we have um, at the university. And it's super powerful in terms of like keeping students assignments and they've got like an integrated Dropbox and an integrated chat board and an integrated grading page, but I don't know how to use a lick of it. So (laughs) that's going to be my summer homework because something that um, killed me this year is I spent a lot of time dealing with students asking me what their grade was <laughs> and it's just simply you know I had a grading sheet but I just didn't have it all integrated where it calculated everything for them up on learn this desire to learn this place that they could access themselves so I'm definitely doing that before next year <laughs> and it will <laughs> cut down on my on my time answering those questions um, so that's at the top of my list <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I mean, all these content management systems, there's Learn, there's uh, Blackboard, like you said. We use one called Angel here at Penn State, though they're getting ready to change to a different one because everyone's unhappy with Angel. There's Drupal, there's a lot of them, and they all do basically the same thing, but with varying degrees of usability. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, right, and we just upgraded Learn, and it does a thousand more things that I still don't understand either. So I know they have a lot of online tutorials for that. So that's on my list. What else do you got? I think related to that, I'm going to go with, I need to develop some videos and things to go with demonstrations and software that I've been working on to teach people how to use and how to compile some of the software for our lab because I end up on a lot of Skype calls explaining the same thing to people. And we've done that for this podcast even. When we have guests on the podcast, I created a little, I think it's about four minute long video that when we ship a guest mic out to the person, it says, this is how to install it. This is how we are going to do the podcast and this is what to expect. Wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) you can see everyone who does the hard work on this podcast and it is not me Um, (laughs) uh, that's awesome you know that's funny because you go to all these old university labs not even old ones new labs and there's always (laughs) there's always this like yellowed piece of paper duct taped 80 times up on the wall about how to use the equipment (laughs) and I think having a video is a great idea. We just recently got a new scanning electron microscope and we're in the process of fighting about, you know, what do we make available, you know, for use with this machine so people can understand what to do. That's probably a good idea. We should probably make some videos so we don't forget ourselves what we're supposed to do, such as when our (laughs) filament burns out or when we're supposed to change something and we haven't done it for six months and we don't know what to do. That's a great idea. You know, 
it's funny you say that because so I use the software called ScreenFlow generally because it captures my audio and it captures my computer screen and you can zoom in on your mouse and all these wonderful things. Um, is a little bit expensive. I think it's around $100. But I've actually been using it lately when I'm developing some code or looking at some data to I turn it on and I explain to myself what I'm doing in the processing of this data. Because I know that in six months when I come back to do some maintenance on this, I'm going to have to spend a couple hours figuring it out, or I can watch five minutes of me explaining to myself what I was thinking when I structured the software this way. You know, this is, I didn't know that this existed, and I think this is brilliant. It's, I mean, what Pinterest has done for my web bookmarks, <laughs> I feel like this <laughs> is going to do for my my ridiculous like data notebook that I have trying to explain to myself why I did what I did and how I did it. And then when I go and revisit it three months later and I'm like, why did I, why did I choose that particular magnetic component? What was I even thinking? That sounds like that would serve that purpose. It does. And you know, you can point to things with your mouse or even I found it helpful when I'm in the lab doing some experiments just to click on the uh, built-in voice memo app on the iPhone and leave yourself a quick 15 second audio note and it saves you having to stop what you're doing on the experiment and write a paragraph in your lab book, which you're probably not going to do. So you're going to forget that information. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hmm. That's a good point. Okay. I'll add that to my manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'm, I just want to do that and actually make some content to go with. I've got some video demonstrations online of you know, granite cores breaking and that kind of thing. And I actually got an email this week from a professor that said, I'd like to use this video. Can you send me the data for this core break oh. that you have high-speed video of? And I said, oh, you know, that's that's great. And that's something that I should already have out there in a nice GitHub repository that's free and open access for you to for you to do. So that that's part of the manifesto. Uh, that's super awesome. I I will probably use those in my classes then. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I like it. What's next on your list? Okay. So I am also, in addition to these computer things, since I'm not going to be spending much time inside, I hope I get them done, but we'll see. Um, but another sort of computery issue that I'm going to be doing is working sort of on my first proposal. And it's really scary. <laughs> <laughs> 15 pages never seemed so long exactly oh man when well, you got to fill out everything else though it's a crazy amount of stuff um but luckily um one of the professors in my department is asking me to be on her proposal that she's resubmitting so luckily my first one is going to be piggybacking on somebody else's but i think it's an excellent place to start um so doing some work in Unaweep Canyon, which is out in western Colorado, where I did some work for my dissertation, sort of doing different work, but in that same area. So I'm going to be working on, you know, setting up all this NSF stuff that I don't have set up, you know, so my mini Vita and working on budgets and all this fun, fun stuff that I haven't really gotten into yet in terms of grant writing. Um, and that one's going to get cranked out pretty soon, so... That's what I'll be working on this week now that I have all my grades turned into the university. Um, I'm going to get started on that, and it's exciting. 
Well, yeah, and it sounds like a great place to be able to use some of the tools that we've talked about to keep all this organized and cross-referenced and easily accessible from any of your devices, really. Uh, exactly. Yes, because that's going to be hard. And I know she's a Mac user, so anything we try to share won't work very well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, I'm certainly going to use some of the things that we've talked about on here to help that get going because I'm going to be in Colorado and she's going to be in Japan and then in Norman and then in California. So this well, will you know, and now that help. now that Evernote allows you to comment and have that work chat feature. Mm-hmm. It's really nice because that's a really great cross-platform. Oh, to work on. it totally is. I fall more and more in love with Evernote all the time. I can't sing its praises enough, so I'll stop <laughs> 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 until they sponsor the podcast. Um, yes, so I'm going to try to work on setting up some of this research stuff that I've sort of taken a back burner during my really tough teaching semester. Well, that sounds like a great plan, and I'm really looking forward to hearing, as somebody that will have to do this in a few years, what stumbling (laughs) blocks you hit and (laughs) what you do to get past them. Uh, Exactly. I'm I'm sure beer will be in there. That will be one of my coping mechanisms. (laughs) (laughs) Success or failure, that's going to be one of them, but I digress. (laughs) Um, What else do you have uh, research-wise on yours besides all your fun coding projects that I know are just for entertainment only. (laughs) Right. Well, let's see. I have one that I'll save uh, for a little bit later, but I do have one manuscript that I'm just about ready to submit and another one that I'm working on the data processing for. And I'm making, I I try to do this for all my manuscripts, but these specifically, my goal is for them to be in incredibly reproducible in terms of there is going to be a data repository that has my data, my plotting codes, my analysis codes in it, and instructions. And if you want to reproduce any plot in those papers, you go download the repository and it's easily doable. Uh, That's super excellent. I think I love your push for all this sort of open source reproducibility stuff because I think that's been lacking and I think that's an awesome awesome idea not idea but i mean it's an awesome practice that everybody should do yeah and there'll be sometime over the summer i have a four-part blog post series planned that's going to cover open data open methods etc etc and i'm really looking forward to writing that because i've had a lot of thoughts about it in the past i haven't ever had a chance to get down on paper but before I go too far down that tangent, part of the Summer <laughs> Manifesto is I've become very comfortable in my workflow for producing figures and documents. Okay. And I think that's just because so far it's worked really well. But that doesn't mean that it's the best thing. I don't want to get too narrow of a vision. So ah. I'm going to branch out and try a couple of different tools that may or may not work better. And I doubt I'm going to stray from my core workflow that much but i want to make sure that there's nothing that's better more efficient faster out there uh, and that i don't you know see everything as a nail because i have a hammer (laughs) uh you could also say see everything as a rock because you have a hammer because i think that's what's going to happen to me a lot this summer that's a rock yeah i'm gonna hit it (laughs) 
and the, the only pain point that I think I'd like to overcome is I use LaTeX for writing papers. We've talked about that in the past. Mm-hmm. And absolutely none of my co-authors do. Right. And in the past, I've had LaTeX, the document, they copied and pasted it into Word. And they would make a bunch of changes. So it was impossible for me to change it back to LaTeX easily. So I basically had to go through and reformat the whole thing. Right. And there is this program that they talked about on Mac Power users recently called Lix, L-Y-X. And it's this free word-like editor for LaTeX, or for LaTeX, however you want to say it. Uh, I'm going to see if I can get some of my collaborators to use that. And that'll be an interesting experiment to see if that runs it, or falls flat on its face. It's going to fall flat on its face. We word users are highly entrenched in our archaic sensibilities. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't know. We'll see. I I have some hope for the program. I downloaded it and opened it, and it looks like it's like Word was five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a selling point, but okay. <laughs> For somebody that's not comfortable looking at tech code, though, it might yeah, be a that's bit that's probably true. Uh, there's also a good chance that I'm just going to have to go up until the final version in Word. Yep. And then reformat the whole thing one last time in tech. I think you should start prepping yourself for that eventuality right now. <laughs> I, I think you're probably right, but it'll be a fun experiment to try and uh, see how much my advisors and co-authors will tolerate. We'll, we'll hate you after this. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I laud your enthusiasm, though. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, uh, I know you said you had writing on your list. So what's up with that? Oh, just like you said, um, every academic probably has this on their summer manifestos, even if they don't know it or not, is submitting or at least writing a manuscript, right? <laughs> yeah. And so mine is the one that every probably assistant professor first year has is getting my thesis out there. <laughs> oh. Uh, right. So, you know, a couple of, of my chapters came out pretty paper ready, but my first chapter that I spent a lot of blood, sweat, and tears on is probably 50 pages long. So it needs to be cut down, I think. <laughs> and that's what's on my docket is chapter one, cutting it down to submit. <laughs> and as everyone that listens knows, I like to talk a lot, and you can probably guess I like to write a lot. So my succinctness needs to needs to be honed. Right, <laughs> but that's a difficult thing to do. Uh, when you spend so much time on a problem, you know, four years of your life on this problem, you want everyone to feel your pain when they read your paper. <laughs> <laughs> so like distilling it down to like 10 pages, it just, it almost makes me want to cry right now, but I'm going to do it. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to use Word. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what you said about trying, being hard to distill it is so true because, you know, you'll, as an experimentalist, you do 50 experiments, 100 experiments, trying to get something to work, and then you publish the oh, five after you got the method perfected, exactly. and there's nothing that you can publish from those six months that are gone when you're trying to get the method to work. 
<laughs> exactly. If only you could have like blood splotches or something <laughs> like <laughs> printed on the paper just so people understand like how excited you are. I remember when I was um when I was writing my master's thesis, part of the research was to try to find a conodont. And so for those of you that don't know, you know, conodonts <laughs> are these weird little jaw pieces that came from some animal that we don't know what they look like, like worms with jaws or something, which is terrifying. Um, and so, you know, I'd take these huge blocks of limestone and I would put them in acid baths and then I'd come up with this big like what was left over was a big pile of limestone and then you sat in front of a binocular microscope and you literally just sifted until you found this tiny little worm jawbone, right? And I oh. remember when I finally found one, I went running down the hall screaming. <laughs> I was so excited. And, you know, it's it's a whole paragraph. That's it in the two publications that I got out of my master's. And it's sad. And I'm still bitter about it 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is where things like having scans of your lab notebook as submitted as supplementary material, I think, is really valuable because it shows the reviewers and anybody that reads the paper how much went into actually getting this to work. Yeah, And yes. that when they say, you know, oh, well, have you tried this? Well, if they look in your notes, yes, you did, and it failed, but you don't write about that in the manuscript. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, that's the whole uh, the whole thought about the Journal of uh, Negative Results, but that's another show, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yes, Absolutely. Well, let's see here. I guess I'll uh, do the last one that I had okay. on the list anyway. It's not the last one on my summer manifesto, but it's the last one on the list for the purposes of brevity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which we've already shot out of the water, but go ahead. <laughs> yes. And that is to set up some more task automation. And the whole goal of that, one is it's fun to do. Uh, so it's kind of a hobby <laughs> thing to do when you're you know, in the evening and a little tired. The other is it will free up a little bit of mental space to be able to do other things, to think about things or to outline shows that we're going to do or blog posts if some of these background tasks are automated. So can you automate my laundry? Is that That's what I thought of when you said that out loud. <laughs> no, I I'm wish. I'm guessing no, uh, that's not what you mean. <laughs> well, and it's a little bit hard because, you know, say a business person that does, you know, they take, input A, process it, and then output it to someone else in another department, that lends itself to automation because you're doing a similar task over and over generally. Right, yeah. But in academics, we really don't do a ton of repetitive ta tasks unless it involves gathering data. Uh, it's so true, which is why I love my job, because that would drive me crazy if I had to do the same thing every day, but... But yeah, yeah so data gathering. So what are you going to automate then that you don't already have automated? Well, some small things, and I've been playing with these already. For example, I have some large files that will come on my laptop, say when we record the show or when I run some new experiments. And I really want those to be on my RAID storage at work because I have uh -huh. like, you know, eight terabytes there that's mirrored and backed up and all of that. Right. Uh, and generally what I've had to do is I wait till I go into work, I pull the data off my laptop, I plug it in to my desktop computer, and then drag it over to my RAID, which isn't very efficient. Right. So I spend a lot of time waiting on things to copy. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. So 
<laughs> what I uh, have been working on is I actually just set up a little script that it. I have a folder that's called to raid in my Dropbox, and mm. I can throw everything I want to go to the raid drive in that folder. And at midnight, a script runs. It says everything that's in that folder, grab it, suck it over to the raid, and pull it out of Dropbox. Gotcha. That sounds so, quite handy. <laughs> yeah, little things like that. Uh, some automatic filing of you know pay stubs and that kind of thing for tax purposes. I use Hazel for that. But I don't know. I want to get a little bit more down into this. Uh, there's a tool called Lingon that runs scripts at a certain time. And I've even played with Pythonista, which is an iPad app. Have you ever tried that? Okay. Uh, no. No, I have not. <laughs> it <laughs> so, sounds awesome, though. <laughs> it is. It's got a lot of Python functionality uh, for scripting on the iPad. And I was messing with it this weekend, and I wrote a program on the iPad that when you run it, it goes out to the internet, pulls down a data file, in my case, some gravity data from, you know, the most recent X days that I set in the script, pulls mm -hmm. weather data, and then produces a plot of all of it and sends it to me. Okay. That would be super nice to have. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, I played with some things like, oh, if it's going to rain in the next 24 hours, email me to put my umbrella in my bag in the morning. And, you know, some silly things like that, just to see how all these tools work. And it's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing what other things, like, go out every month or every two months and grab some geodetic data from all of these stations on New Zealand so I can keep up with the progress of a slow slip event going on there. Ah, and, gotcha. Know, every month it'll just email me a new plot or something like that. It's, uh, it saves me a little bit of time and reminds me to keep looking at these data sets. Uh, yes, which is something that you totally get lost in, I feel like. Not you, I mean everyone, you know. You can only have so many sticky notes on your computer at one time. <laughs> well, yeah, and I use some of these, believe it or not, to do uh, the podcast preparation. Uh, I'll drop the file that you send that has your audio and my file in a certain folder, and these actions run, and everything's sitting there ready for me the next morning to edit together. Ah, and that's when you email me and say, Shannon, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yes, that's why I email you and say that it, it didn't run because there was no file in the Dropbox. Uh, you should just go ahead and set it to automatically email me that <laughs> that, that message. <laughs> just, it's going to save you reminder. time. So yeah, that's kind of the last one on my list. I do have a lot of other academic goals, but I didn't want to put them in the show mostly just because they're really specific to my research in earthquake physics. And I know we do have some earthquake people that listen, but we have a lot of people that aren't earthquake people that listen, and <laughs> I didn't want to bore them and make the show ridiculously long. So what's the last one oh, on your list? That's true. Uh, well, the last thing on my list is sort of trying to get ready for my new class that I'm teaching in the fall. Um, it, wrapped in with that is I'd like to also sort of actually sit down and either in Evernote or in something make a list of things that I felt like I did wrong so I can make it better, just an in general teaching thing. Um, but I'm teaching my first grad class in the fall and I'm super excited about it. And so the title of it is Catastrophic Sedimentation. And so I wanted to, <laughs> I know it seems sort of weird, but basically all it is is any sort of event that deposits sediments that happens on a pretty quick timeline. So debris flows, uh, 
yes, floods, uh, impact craters, anything like that. Um, and so if anyone has any ideas out there or any cool pictures of landslides or any, you know, places that are sort of where you, you get this sort of catastrophic sedimentation, you know, please send it in because I'm searching for ideas for that. Um, I think it'll be a really fun class. It's just sort of a, it's a two hour class. So it's just going to be a, um, mostly a seminar style, but we're going to go on a uh, field trip to look at a big landslide out in Wyoming. So I'm really excited about that. And maybe we'll even make it to, you know, some of the big Lake Bonneville flood stuff that's out that direction as well. So um, that's sort of a really exciting thing. I know I I need to try to relax some this summer, but I know I'm going to be thinking about this the whole time that I'm traveling. So I'm really excited about that project. Yeah. And I mean, course development does take up a lot of time, especially the first time you teach a course while you're trying to get really that line together and all that. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. This whole last year I have experienced that. That is true. <laughs> Um, and I'll probably keep experiencing it until I sort of, you know, as every new assistant professor does. Um, I took a class sort of similar to this. It was sort of a, a two-hour class um, when I was getting my master's as well. So I'm going to sort of build on those ideas and, you know, take it a little bit further and try to actually start talking about, like, some of the physics behind some of these really crazy sediment flows because it's weird what just a tiny bit of water, just like we were talking about earlier, how in a flood, you know, two or three inches of water can move your car. I mean, think about a rock that would weigh as much as your car being moved by that same flow. So looking into some sort of physics behind sediment movement as well. So it sounds like a really interesting class, and I can't wait to hear about your field trip. I'm sure we'll talk about it on the show. But I think that talking about these catastrophic events and all the rain that you guys have had is a good segue into everybody's favorite segment. Yay! Fun Paper Friday. (laughs) (laughs) So not exactly sedimentation, but (laughs) definitely dealing with the weather. Yes, and you guys have been getting a lot of rain and thunderstorms and severe weather. We actually had a thunderstorm or two here in this last week, though they weren't severe. And I thought that this paper was well-timed. It turns out it's on how lightning works and how we can probe that. Uh, Which is super cool. Um, I've always really liked sort of the, obviously, because I'm a magnetics person, so I sort of like the electrical usage of lightning and all this stuff. Um, But what what does this paper have that's new sort of into lightning physics? Well, so lightning is pretty hard to understand because once you send a probe, be it a sounding rocket or a balloon or anything like that, up into the environment to measure the electric field to try to understand where the lightning is coming from, you alter the environment yep. that you're measuring. Right, it's exactly. a classic problem in instrumentation, it, a continual plague in electrostatics. Uh, I've done some electrostatics research before, and it's an absolute nightmare to try to make sure that you're not significantly modifying the system. Right, because what can you, I mean, anything that you have, you're going to sit up there, has an electric charge, and so it's instantly going to change it, so. Yeah, and you, you might measure, you know, your instrument might measure the response of the styrofoam that it's in to the environment <laughs> instead of the environment that you want to measure. Uh, or the microwave rays of your actual microwave versus... 
Right. <laughs> so this paper had a completely out of left field way to probe these electric fields and thunderstorms using cosmic rays. Um, yeah, when I first read the title, I skimmed right past thunderstorms and I said, oh, we're doing another space one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and let me tell you, this paper, uh, we'll call it Shellert et al., but that <laughs> yeah. et al. is in all caps. <laughs> This has 39 institutions involved and at least that many authors, if not more. Oh, yeah. It's the entire front page. <laughs> yes. Uh, um. So, yes, this is in American Physical Society. We'll have it linked in the show notes, but it's called Probing Atmospheric Electric Fields and Thunderstorms Through Radio Emission from Cosmic Ray-Induced Air Showers. And basically what happens is we're continually bombarded by these cosmic rays and we end up getting these electrons and positrons coming through the atmosphere and they're going at relativistic velocities mm -hmm. and right. the earth's magnetic field which you're very familiar with <laughs> yes <laughs> actually exerts uh, some force on these you know so you've got the lorentz force equation right mm -hmm. where the force on any charged particle there's an electric part and then there is a magnetic part and that magnetic part is actually the magnetic field, uh, the cross product with the velocity. All right. So these things are moving really fast, and they get bent, but their path gets bent by the Earth's magnetic field. And when that happens, they emit radio frequencies. Uh, they actually emit, you know, these couple nanosecond long bursts of radio energy. Uh, that's really awesome. So you can basically measure their little accelerations based on their emissions. Exactly. And so this is definitely going to have an effect in a thunderstorm, right? Yeah. And I don't think that this was an intentional discovery. <laughs> Those are the best. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was completely accidental. Uh, Bob Pease in his book, which is actually about analog electronics, says, if something seems funny, record the amount of funny. <laughs> and I think that's what happened here. Uh, and look where it went. I mean, this is a really unique sort of usage of that data yeah so what they end up doing is using this uh it's the low frequency array radio telescope or LOFAR, <laughs> since everything in astronomy is abbreviated yep uh it's in the netherlands and they're recording these signals they recorded 762 of these air showers uh, through this triggering mechanism they describe in the paper and as it turns out 58 of those were anomalous. They started looking at the anomalous ones and were able to throw out some because they had low signal to noise. Mm -hmm. And the rest of them, they noticed, occurred during thunderstorms. Uh, that's awesome. So the anomalies then in these air showers are caused by the electric fields. Yeah, they actually change the polarization of the signal that they see uh, at this array. And what was fascinating to me is they said that they can reproduce with a numerical model almost perfectly the free air shower. I mean, they said they get a fit of almost one. So they really <laughs> understand the physics. And when they saw that their model didn't fit, they knew something had to be wrong because their model fits. And they can improve <laughs> that right. fit by now adding some, uh, in this case, two electric field layers to their model. And lo and behold, when the thunderstorms are over and they add these field layers the model lines up again. it works oh that is so cool that's I, I love that it changes the polarization this is a really 
interesting usage of that, and that's great. All models are wrong, so when their model lined up, they knew something was... <laughs> they weren't taking something into account. <laughs> I love <laughs> and it. I mean, it's just, it's a really great example of not saying all of your outliers are just, oh, they, they, they could have said, oh, these are all low signal noise, or, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we don't know what happened here exactly. Maybe they just said, oh, there was bad weather, but didn't really look into it ha. any deeper. They looked into it deeper, and they found a way to profile the electric field in a thunderstorm going over the array. Uh, that's that's fantastic. I mean, we can tell, even though our magnetometer is housed in a shielded room, you know, we have effects from thunderstorms, and we can't make measurements, so was really neat <laughs> like i always thought that was a really cool thing and to us it is noise and so it's nice that something's coming out of that noise that's really neat yeah and this is a pretty large array i'm not sure exactly how scalable it would be but right. it would be really great if this array could be scaled to say something like a truck size where they could take it into the field and do and some severe storms research with it because electric fields around severe storms are really poorly understood Exactly. And it's that whole, I mean, and now they're commonly things that are these fixed things and you just have to hope that a storm hits your lightning array that you have fixed out there because it's not something you want to deploy anything into. That would be a really cool thing to do to have it sort of traveling. Yeah, with a lot of these severe weather sensors, you want the storm to get close, but not too close. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. (laughs) Exactly. Either your stuff gets sucked up in a tiger NATO and then your instruments are gone and then where are you going to go? <laughs> right. And your data's gone too, unless you find the pieces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, that's kind of it for this paper. It was a relatively short paper and it was very easy to understand the physics in it, I thought. Mm-hmm. So you should definitely go check it out, download it. And if you see any kind of fun paper you want us to talk about, be sure to send us a link and we love hearing from our listeners. So how can they get a hold of us? <laughs> That's right. Um, you can find us at www.don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can email us show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. And we're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman and I am at Shannon Doolin. Right. So this will be our last long show. Next week, we'll see you with a new summer short. And until then, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.